Today, we're going to be talking about scientific journals, what it's like to be published, and a little bit more about the background behind the scenes of scientific article publishing, because I think it's a really interesting and important topic. Hey everyone, Nick from Just Nas Science. Uh, it, you, you know it's going to be a different episode when you hear my voice starting the episode instead of Lauren's. Um, Just Nas Science, if you don't know, is a science comedy podcast where we debunk science myths and misconceptions we find online and get just a little bit salty about them. I definitely messed that up. Lauren always says it. I wrote it a long time ago, uh, but I never say it, so I I forgot what it actually is. It's only a little embarrassing. So like I said, uh, not even a minute ago, I wanted to talk today about scientific articles and journals, and the reason we're doing this change of episode instead of a regular, you know, one episode where we debunk some random or ridiculous thing is because this past week I had my first army drill. Recently I joined the National Guard. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've made it public on the podcast yet, but I joined the National Guard and, uh, and we'll talk about how that'll affect the show in the future, but for now, uh, I, I didn't know what to expect from this first drill, and let me tell you, it was way harder and way more intense than I expected it to be, and I'm, I, <laughs> I, I am just shot. I mentally, not I'm not capable of writing an episode up, a 25-minute episode, doing the research needed to, to get all that together and then recording, editing, and all that fun stuff. So I didn't just want to put out uh, an older episode and say, you know, sorry, we're just going to re-release an old episode. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to put out something a little bit different. And so this week, we'll just, you know, we'll just chat. Let's start with the actual data collection process. Researchers and scientists aren't able to just do whatever they want whenever they want to. Let's let's put money aside. Let's just say they have money somehow. Even if you have the money to do an experiment, those studies need to be approved by different ethics and safety committees. So, for example, when I was working on clinical trials, which is using a medication or device treatment, whatever, on humans, those trials not, not only have to be approved by the FDA, but they also have to be approved by the individual institutional review board that governs each, uh, whether it's hospital or private institution, whatever is doing the research. The institutional review board, or IRB, is the ethics committee that oversees and makes sure that patients are not being harmed, that there's not unreasonable risk, that there's the study, there's a need for it, all these kind of things are accounted for in or by rather the IRB. This does include if you want to work with animals. Back when I was in college and I was doing my master's degree, we worked with animals. I was doing studies on mice and rats and you can't just get a bunch of animals and start experimenting on them. You need to get approval by what's called the Institutional uh, Animal Use and Care Committee, the IACUC. And, and different institutions or different areas, they might be called different things, but ultimately it's the same thing. It's, it's a board that sits and meets and makes sure that you are not causing unnecessary harm or trauma or that you're not torturing or you know doing something super unnecessary to these animals. It is 
very very important so we start there once your study is approved by whatever governing boards that you know you have to get approval for then you can go ahead and do your study so you you conduct your studies you collect your data and we won't talk about that you know because it doesn't really pertain to this so it's just you have all the data you need so now it comes time to write your your, your results you want to you want to publish this data that's the whole point is to get the word out there about this data why well so the other members of the scientific and medical community know what you found it is unfortunate that there is a real emphasis on publishing positive data or, or data that shows an effect people don't really like to read studies where nothing happened it, it is unfortunate but sometimes it's important to know that nothing happened and we that, sh that shouldn't be a bad thing that shouldn't be a reason to not publish data but it can be so if you want to publish your data well the individual journal that you want to publish in actually has criteria or they have like a format that you must follow so you don't get just to write it however you want you have to follow their formatting so that maybe the the tables all go at the very end of the document uh maybe they're you know written in certain columns with certain spacing certain fonts certain all these different things it's very very explicit and detailed and you must follow it otherwise your paper will get rejected now when i say rejected what does that mean well before you're published in a journal before your study is ever seen in a public in, in a scientific journal it undergoes the peer review process there are three individuals who will review your study or your findings before you ever get it published and what they do is they make notes on your study maybe they'll tell you to go back because you didn't collect enough samples maybe you analyzed the data wrong maybe they feel that you interpreted the data wrong maybe you're drawing the wrong conclusions uh, maybe you didn't choose the right experiment there's a thousand different things uh, maybe they don't like the way you worded something they can literally make reviews about anything that you're writing but ultimately you have three independent people who are reviewing this submission and it's important to know that you don't know who your reviewers are so you can't go and buy them off at least that's how it's supposed to be you shouldn't know who your reviewers are uh, i'm sure there are times where people did know but it should be an anonymous process you should not know because that does create bias and 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 the reviewers shouldn't know whose paper they're reviewing because again you don't want to create bias if you're reviewing a paper for a colleague of yours you don't want to give them a positive review when they shouldn't have gotten one and if you're reviewing some uh, paper from maybe a competitor or someone that you know you're constantly you know fighting for grant money and things like that you don't want to be unnecessarily harsh and critic and critical of their paper just because you might not like them or they're a they're a um uh, a professional uh, uh, rival if you will once the reviewers agree that your paper is ready for submission it also gets reviewed by an editor for the actual um the journal that you're submitting to and that editor is going to make sure that you did all your sources correctly that you formatted it correctly used the right fonts all that kind of stuff so there's a lot of checks that have to happen before your paper is ever published and i don't know if you know this but 
publishing your paper is not cheap. There are some articles or some uh, journals that require $1,200 to get your paper published, which normally is covered by the you know, your grant funds. So when you are applying for a grant, you will include uh, publishing costs in your grant. So you'll say, I want to publish five papers over the next five years and I want you to give me money for those five years. Here's an itemized budget of what I need for the, you know, ex the food for the animals and their veterinary care and their cages and the reagents and the equipment. And also I need, you know, to pay grad students to help. And I also need money for publishing and I need travel money for conferences. All these different things can get built into your grant budget. It doesn't always. There are plenty of times where this money comes directly out of the researcher's pocket. And guess how much money researchers make from publishing their papers in journals? If your answer was zero, you're correct. Researchers don't get paid to publish. It's something that they do as part of their career that they have to do if you're in academia, meaning if you're working at a college or a university, you are typically required, especially as a new professor, to publish multiple papers per year. Uh, maybe a, depending on the institution, you just have to do one a year or something like that, but you are often required to publish and that can cost money. And if you're a new researcher or if you're a new professor, new investigator, you might not have the ability to get a lot of grant money and now you can see where this you know becomes a real problem there are a ton of papers i am sure that have never seen the light of day because they the the individual who was trying to publish it did not have money to publish it it's a huge problem i think we need more grant money or more funding for research and, and development but you know what do i know now the the paper has been i said paper weird I said, what, did I, what did i say the the paper has been published and now you the reader are looking for some information on a particular topic and you come across this study that kind of fits what you're looking for how do you know that this study has been vetted properly that this this you know, because the internet is really difficult. Anyone can write anything and publish it on the internet. It doesn't mean it's accurate. Something can get published and be wrong. There have been times where journals have made retractions or, you know, after uh, the, the public has seen an article, they say, no, this isn't right. This, this doesn't make sense. Uh, there's these uh, inaccuracies. And journals have had to retract or you know, basically unpublish those those uh, studies because they're wrong for whatever reason or so there was some issue with them. So retractions do happen. Um, it's not super common. But how do you know when you're just looking at a study that this is a credible source? Well, there are, are a few things that we can look at. The first thing is the study or the journals, what we call impact factor. Basically, the higher the impact factor, the more credible the journal is, the more people use it in sources and, and the more uh, reliable the overall periodical is. So something like the New England Journal of Medicine has an impact factor of like 76, which is really high. 
other things like the Journal of uh, what is it, the JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. They have an impact factor of 45, something like Cell, which is a, a really popular um, cellular biology journal, has an impact factor of like 36. Those are pretty good. They are they are generally credible and reliable, and the things you read in there are, again, uh, safe. I would say as far as you know, trying to put out scientific scientific information. If you come across a, a journal that has an impact factor of like a one or a two, I would be much more cautious about using that study if you're trying to make a point about something. And this is something that I, people don't understand. You see all the time on social media, someone says something and they, they make some ridiculous claim. Someone asks for more information and, and they get the response, do your own research. And, and, and no, I don't think that everyone should be doing their own research. There's nothing wrong with looking things up, but there is a huge difference between Googling something and doing research. Those are not the same things. So when you hear someone saying, do your own research, and, and maybe they give you the link of something, they give you some some random blog or some random website, that's not credible. I write a blog, it means nothing. Like, that's absolute trash. If you are reading the personal blog of Steve Jobs, maybe we can have a discussion. Neil deGrasse Tyson is a little bit more of a credible source than some dipshit on the internet. So, you know, th that idea of doing your own research or, or using a single source or study to prove your point is pretty dangerous. You, there are, let's take, uh, before, because I, I don't want to get too frustrated and too hung up on this point. Let's take climate change, for example. Climate change is a huge problem. And there's a large amount of people who don't think climate change is one a problem or two even real which is ridiculous but whatever if you engage with one of these individuals and they start giving you some scientific studies that talk about how climate change is not a man-made problem or that it's not severe or something like that one of the things you should do and you should do this for every study you come across is look up the journal where they got the study from again if the impact factor is like a 0.3 it's trash it, it, it it's essentially worthless at that point look at the credibility of the journal where they got it from look at the source then you should also be looking at the authors themselves on the study it'll tell you where the authors are from what institutions or uh, facilities they're affiliated with and if you are really smart, you'll look at the, uh, not the acknowledgements, but the funding source. So the, the studies have to say where they got their money from. And you can learn a lot about a study from who funds it. So for example, going back to climate change, I know I kind of veered off there for a second. There are a ton of videos and documents put out by a group called friends of science and it sounds lovely oh we're friends of science but if you look at who funds them they're actually funded by the fossil fuel industry and the fossil fuel industry wants you to think that climate change 
is not happening or is not serious or is not important. Why? Because they want you to keep using their shit. They want you to keep using fossil fuels and to keep buying gasoline and using natural gas and all this other stuff because that's how they make their money. It's very, very simple. It all boils down to money. So when you hear people talking about how climatologists and climate scientists are just putting out information to get paid because they get paid to publish data. No, they don't. Maybe if someone writes a book and they they sell a lot of copies, yeah, they could they could make money like that. Or if they have a lot of speaking engagements, maybe they can make money like that. But they're not making money from publishing studies. I can guarantee that. And if anything, it's costing them money. We talked about before. It's a thousand plus dollars to publish an article in a good journal. So it, it gets really expensive. Honestly, the, it's ridiculous how expensive it can get, but that's not the point. So if you look at the affiliations of the authors or who's funding the studies, well, if it's, you know, if there's a study put out that says climate change is bullshit and it turns out it's funded by ExxonMobil, you know it's biased. You know there's a problem. And then this study is already flawed. And honestly, it that if you think that doesn't happen, if you think that the fossil fuel industry does not have a group of scientists, a group of individuals who are trying to collect data and publish data to disprove climate change, you are more naive than I could imagine. And I'm not saying you, the individual, I'm saying like a, a person who thinks that companies wouldn't do that the data is what the data is no it's not no it is not and this is where it gets really tricky a while ago we put out an episode we talked about about a man named john swabish and we talked about how data doesn't lie but it can be manipulated and i chose the title of that episode because it's very very true the data you see is the data you see but you can easily mess with that data to make it look more believable or to make it look like what you want it to look like. For example, if you have two graphs, you can change the scales to make the graphs look either more or less similar. If you want something to show a lot of variation, well, then maybe you magnify the scale so that it, you know any uh, dips or increases are they look huge and if you want something to look more flat like it was stable well then maybe you make the scale really big so any changes don't look very large like there are easy ways to misrepresent or misinterpret data and it's you're not changing the data the data stayed the same but you know you can really mess with it so and, and to give an example let's look at temperature if the temperature only changes by one or two degrees every day. You know, you have a week's temperature, it's 84, 83, 81, 82, 84, 85. It, it's really similar. Well, if you make the scale, you know, five degrees, so your, your y-axis is 70, 75, 80, 85, 90, it's going to look pretty normal, right? It's like a regular graph. But if you make the scale... 20 degrees is going to go 60, 80, 100, 120. Well, it's going to look extremely flat. 
But meanwhile, if you make the scale, you know, 0.1, where it's, you know, 88.1, 88.2, 80, now any change is going to be huge because the, the scale is all wacky. I know I'm kind of beating this point, but it, it is a very important point. I mentioned this on a previous episode, but Lauren and I went to Sephora. And when we went to Sephora, they had some, like, plaque next to some product saying that 90% of people saw improved skin. It's like, well, what does that mean? How many people did you ask to get this 90%? Did you ask 1,000 people and 900 said their skin improved? Or did you ask 10 and 9 said their skin improved? Did you... Uh, you know what I mean? I think it's little things like that. It also didn't say by how much their skin improved. Maybe they did ask a thousand people and 800 said that their skin improved only a little bit. Not really, not a, not a lot, just a little. And 50 said their skin improved somewhat and 50 said their skin improved a lot. Would you buy that product if 50 out of a thousand people said that their skin improved a lot? Even though 800 said that their skin improved just a little bit probably not but when you group all that data together and you say look 900 people said their skin improved though well, yeah it sounds great but it, it, without more information without more detail that data is meaningless what demographics were these individuals were these women who were aged 50 to 60 were these men and women age 18 to 65 like that matters a lot because that's going to determine who should be buying this product maybe maybe the product worked best for people who had oily skin maybe the product worked best for people who had dry skin and little things like that without that information if you are not given the context of information it is worthless but it's still data they're not lying right we're, we're assuming they're not lying they didn't give us they didn't actually give us a source which is another red flag because i can't go and verify this like i could write a sign i can fill up a bottle with horse piss and be like 90 percent of people said their skin improved when they squirted horse piss on their face and it's like without any information to back that up <laughs> like, anyone can say anything it's meaningless it's, it's just words on paper so if there's no citation, if there's no source, if there's no like, click here for more information or, you know, check out our clinical trial here, it's it's garbage. It's immediately garbage. If they don't, tr if their data is so weak that they don't even want people to go and look at it, that's a problem. That is a huge, huge problem. But those are just some of the different things that you should be paying attention to and I, and like i said i wanted to talk about the actual publication process what it's like to get published to talk about the peer review process just a little bit talk about journal impact factors and uh i mean there's so much more that we can talk about i could keep going this entire episode has been off the top of my head and this this is i'm not even I didn't even write any of this stuff down. I'm just kind of talking out these details and these points, which is probably why it's a shitty episode. But at the same time, everything I'm saying is true and accurate. And if you don't believe me, go and this is something you can easily look up. This does not require research. You can Google 
a study's impact factor or what an impact factor is, you can easily Google the peer review process. If you don't take my word for it and you don't have to, I'm not going to be offended mostly because I won't know. But if you like, if you tweeted me and be like, I didn't trust you. I looked this up myself. I'm like, good for you for taking the initiative, but also like, what the fuck? Anyway, that's not the point. The point is I just wanted to peer back the curtain or peel back the curtain just a little bit to, because it, it could seem like mysterious and like mystifying how data or information just appears in the scientific world and it doesn't it doesn't just appear i mean it's typically months if not years of data collection and fighting for grant money to even start collecting your data and then the analyzing the data and interpreting the data and writing it all up and getting it published and getting your rejections and and your criticism you know whatever miss uh, things you have to fix and then you go back and re repeat experiments or you reanalyze the data and you send it back and there is sometimes a back and forth between reviewers and the uh, submitter so doing all that and then finally getting it submitted and accepted by the journal and to when it's published can can take a little while so this is not just like a i'm gonna put out some misleading data on climate change because i secretly I don't even know what the goal of that would be like from from the point of view of like people like climate change is bad and we need to do something about it. like I don't know maybe I work for Tesla and I want to get more electric cars on the like and it's not a bad thing for the planet so I, I don't know why people would care but anyway that is gonna do it for us today thank you so much for taking the time to listen to me ramble and um just talk about nonsense for the past 26 or so minutes i really do appreciate it if you haven't already don't be afraid to hit the subscribe button leave us a five-star review and share this episode with anyone you think might be interested i know this is not my normal outro but again i don't remember it i usually read it because i i need to you can also find us on social media we have a twitter instagram and facebook that is all at just science we also have a website justnatscience.com how clever you can read different blog posts you can read uh you can, can't read youtube videos but you can watch youtube videos and we have all of our podcast episodes up there as well so don't be afraid to check any of that out and uh yeah that's gonna do it for us today next week we'll be back with a regular episode both me and lauren we're gonna be talking about covid and uh how you shouldn't be using cow poop as a treatment for COVID, because some people are. Later, you nerds.